During times in this episode, there is sensitive content that may be traumatizing to some audiences. Listener discretion advised. It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You, the listening audience, will have the opportunity through episodes in this podcast to learn, dissect, and grapple with some of the issues involving those of us separated from our biological family. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest is from China, and she spent nine years there before being adopted and moving to California. Her name is Adele Rodriguez. I was delighted when she reached out to me with a desire to share part of her life's journey. She also lived in France during her youth and says, being an adoptee not only makes me stand out, but it makes me me. Adele considers her years in an orphanage, a first home that was not that bad. Other orphans in the home were her brothers and sisters, and overall they shared many good times together. In this episode, Adele is transparent and vulnerable about her adoption in hopes that someone else will feel less alone. As a little person, she experienced multiple traumas after the loss of her first mother and found a set of beliefs to guide her through the dark times. Allow me to introduce you to a young woman, wife, and mother who is taking opportunities to learn more about what being an adopted person means to her. She is no longer feeling the shame of what makes up a part of her identity as an adoptee. Adele is embracing her lived experience with acceptance as she comes to process all of the things that have happened to her. Adele, I'm so happy to have this time with you, and I know you have a little one, and Mm -hmm. so any noise that he makes is perfectly fine. Okay, for yeah. sure. So how okay. are you how are you doing on the West Coast? Uh it's been rainy a lot pretty much. Uh, last night was cold and my little one's fussy too. So he's teething. So he's <laughs> um he he wants a lot of extra cuddles for sure. Mm. Um but yeah, it just been raining a lot lately and cold. Yeah, so, I know. I know the West Coast has gotten quite a bit of rain, and mm-hmm. I'm just hoping you all are all safe there, and yeah, are doing well. So, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's just it's been crazy over here. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I know a, a little bit about your story, and it's a lot of twists and turns and <laughs> layers, I would say, to your experience. And mm-hmm. I know you're from China, and yeah. and the fact that you were in an orphanage for several years before your adoption is where I, I think I'd like to start, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you want to, yeah, you want to share what you remember about being in that place in China? Yeah, for sure. 
the first day, I don't remember. I do have a picture of it, but like usually, when, usually after you get adopted,、uh, they send you a lot of pictures of you. So I don't remember the first day I arrived at the orphanage, but in the picture, it looks like I was dropped off by like CPS or someone at the entrance of the orphanage. So, but I don't remember. I was probably like two or three years old. And then I just stayed at the orphanage where we had to share with a roommate. Usually, the older one is paired with a younger one so that they can look after them. We have like different floors at the orphanage. There was like five floors. We were like pretty well off. We weren't like really poor or anything, but we had like five floors building. The first floor was like our doctors and our nurses. The second floor was like for old people, so we had、like、elderly there too. On the third floor. Was for newborn babies, and the fourth floor was where the older kids were. After three years old, that's where we were, and then the fifth floor was like just like a common room, like inter. Yeah, it was like a multi-purpose floor. We do laundry up there. We do performances up there. We do like hangouts up there. So it's like a everything on the fifth floor. So yeah, we had it was a pretty big building. I was grateful that like we had. You know, a, a roof over our head. Not like other orphanages that I've seen. You know, where they have like, it's full, full of like animals and mud and like no water and stuff like that. So I was super grateful for the place that we stayed at, and it was pretty big. Yeah. So that was pretty much the the gist of it. And I do remember it's there was both boys and guys. And and the thing is that at orphanage, it's mostly. It was only people with disabilities or had some kind of medical conditions. That's one thing I noticed too, like not like other orphanages. So I don't know what's maybe that's why they put us there. So it was like only people with you have like albinos there. You have、uh, people with no arms and people who are crippled, people who who are deaf and who had heart conditions. You know, all these things. So that was our. Orphanage, and I remember my um <laughs> my roommate. She was like in high school back then, and I was just in elementary. I was just elementary school. I was like only like seven or eight, but she was she used to be very abusive to me. Her medical condition was that she had a burnt face, and her hands were burnt too. So I don't know if she was in the fire when she was little or not or what. Yeah, she she used to be very like. Abusive to- towards me, like、uh, physical. She would hit me, and and and、um, I think it's a power thing maybe for her. We all have some kind of like <laughs> issues, you know, emotional issues, and I think she just took it out on me. But I just remember her being super like abusive towards me, and like she would lock me up in the in the in the bath in the bathroom if I if I didn't listen or behave or anything. So it was pretty intense. Like yeah, we, we were used to. I mean, like. Like all brothers and sisters, we of course we fought. You know, we we tease each other, we make fun of each other, and some of us went to schools together. Some of us didn't. We went to different schools as well. They also locked us up when we had chicken box. Of course, like if one kid has chicken box, all of us had chicken box. Right. <laughs> and, they, yeah. and they would like lock us all in the one room so other, so we don't touch other things because it was contagious. So that was pretty fun. I think it wasn't as like sad and depressing as most people think when it comes to orphanages because we did have fun too, you know.、Mm-hmm. We had like trampolines, and on weekends they would use us as like 
puppets, we, we would have to perform. Like, uh, remember on the fifth floor, that's where we practice singing and dancing. And on the weekend, we they would give us, uh, we would go on the bus and they, we would drive to places and perform for people. So I, I guess that's how the orphanages get their money. You know, you use the word intense. And what you described for me puts me in that mood. Like that was really intense. And would you describe it? And I know you had fun. You described that, mm-hmm. that there were times where you had fun. But would you mm-hmm. describe it also as being traumatic as a child? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I think the traumatic part was, it was mostly emotional, you know? Yeah. Um, like, even though we got each other's backs, my brothers and sisters are the orphanage, that's what we call each other. We still call each other's the brothers and sisters. But, like, at school, we would get bullied by, by other people because they would look down on us. They would they would call us like the dirty rags. They would like assume that we steal. I mean, yeah, yes, we did steal. Okay, we were like <laughs> we did steal a lot of things, but they were like they would point their fingers right automatically at us every time something goes missing. So they would just like put stereotypes of an orphan on us, you know, steal things, looking dirty, uh, you can't trust them, and all these things. Trying to make you feel ashamed. Yeah, exactly. So, so it was mostly like by outside people who like we feel emotionally traumatic and they would make fun of us, you know. Inside the orphanage, in, in, in a way, we do feel kind of secure because we had something in common with everybody, you know, because right. we were all here because we we're orphans. But w- once we leave that, oh, it's, it's up for battle. Like people will make fun of us and stuff like that stuff like that and I would get bullied by my classmates in China so in a way it is intense and traumatic but not in a way where most people think it is you know right. but it was mostly emotional trauma by outside people yeah um, emotional trauma is hard too mm-hmm. yeah and I I don't think I've ever had a guest that's lived in an orphanage for as long as you did I feel like that's what Hmm. That's what's really heartbreaking for me in your story because you mm-hmm. you do have such a memory of being in this orphanage. And so mm-hmm. wherever you want to start and however much you want to share. Yeah, for sure. Uh like I mentioned, like n- not everything at, at the orphanage was bad. I remember um they did put us in the military camp. <laughs> I mean like during the summer times because like because during summer we don't have school, you know, so of course the orphanage is not going to deal with a hundred of a hundred of us or more, you know, during the summer when we don't have school. So they sent us to like a military camp, and we will have to like dress in uniform and like and run and do push-ups and all that jazz with the drill sergeant. That was pretty uh, traumatic. I mean, for me because <laughs> I'm not really a physical person. So, but but it was the teacher's discipline, and they and we took a field trip to like a police station, and they would show us like if you guys don't behave, this is where you guys gonna stay, gonna end up and stuff like that. So it was more of like a discipline learning thing because we we were all behavior trouble too. Like I, like I used to cause so much trouble myself, and I think all of us did. I had a hard time listening to my caretakers and just getting into trouble and not doing my chores. You know, just being rebellious. I feel like most of us were like that because we had mental health things, because we were dealing with trauma, you know, with not having parents and stuff. And I do remember, like, we would watch TVs together in our study room. 
every time like a, a parent figure comes on the screen we would just like all stare at it <laughs> you know like all of us just staring at the screen like imagining what what's like to have parents you know and and it's crazy because once in a while we will have like foreigners back then that's what we called you know foreigners because we, they weren't like chinese foreigners would come and would like watch us because that that's when they choose who they want to adopt you know at the, t- at the same time it was like very intimidating because because you had to put on your best uh, behavior you had to dress you had to be uh, well groomed you know like super nice so you can get attention of the foreigner and wanting to and have them to adopt you and so they were just like very stressful and and it was just really funny but it, it was always disappointing when you hear back oh they they adopted somebody else oh they adopted a newborn baby oh they adopted like one year old but then the older kids were just like yeah we don't have a chance anymore because we're too old nobody wants a preteen or you know stuff like that so it was just like a lot of like definitely roller coaster and just i would say emotional trauma was like the biggest thing because you you get disappointed over and over and over and it gets to you you know like it, it makes you lose hope that like oh we, we will never get adopted right because, because we're we're eight years old or we're 12 and so and so forth have you heard of this movie called cider house rules no i haven't yeah so this movie came out many years ago each time I've watched it, it's about an orphanage. And mm. and it's about, actually it's about a young man coming of age. He was an orphan and he grew up in the orphanage. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where the children are getting visitors, just as you described. And it always mm-hmm. would bring me to tears because they would straighten up and, and mm-hmm. the older children would, you know, know that they were likely not to be adopted every time I watch that scene it it just is deep profound sadness mm-hmm. for me because like you said the emotional trauma of not having parents and wanting parents older kids and I we were like talk about it and we were like yeah when I wanted and we would start planning our future there because once you age out age out i think 18 in china as well once you age out of the orphanage they kind of just let you go i think they send the guys to to military and for girls i don't i don't really know what they do to girls because I, I, I never you know i didn't thank goodness i didn't reach that point but i don't know what they sent the girls to we, we would start start to like plan on futures the, the the older kids and all we would say to just dream about like oh we would talk about the people that did get adopted. Oh, are they going to America? Are they going to France? Are they going to like imagine the different countries? And we would just like like talk in the tone of like just full disappointment because because it happens over and over. It wasn't just like one time, you know. I think I think that's what's what really got us down because we see it often where the younger kids go and and that it just in your face all the time, you know, and, and, and that's what's hurtful and depressing for us, the other kids. So it was something that we talked con- like often for sure about how we don't get, it was hard for us to see positive, I guess. I guess that's how we word it. It was just, all we see is negative. All we just focus on is like, oh, we would never get adopted and because of this and that and this and How did you come to be adopted at nine that was because of the chinese government honestly because 
later on, I did find out that my my parents wanted a baby too. They did want a baby, and they went through a adoption agency, and they told them they want a baby. But because of the age ratio, the Chinese government told them like because you guys are on the older. Girl, you guys had to adopt an older kid. So the younger the parents were, the younger you can adopt. So if you were like in your twenties and thirties, then you can adopt like a baby. But my parents were like in the late thirties and forties, so they were like, yeah, you guys have to adopt older kids. So that was the policy with the Chinese government, and that's why they had they ended up with me. But it was sad, honestly, when I read the paperwork when I got older. That because that's what I found it. I felt hurt because I felt like I was a second choice. Of I feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, because I was like, oh, they didn't want me. They they had no choice but to choose me because they couldn't have what they wanted. You know, a baby. Yeah. Did hurt. they act like they didn't want you? What was your childhood like? I definitely felt loved. Yeah, I I felt loved by both my parents, but unfortunately, there was sexual abuse going on in the household. That's how I ended up in the foster care system again, because of the the sexual abuse with a family member. I think I I, I think we have to normalize that not all adoptions any fairy tale. You know, like I feel like a lot of people. Well, you should be happy you got adopted, right? right. Uh, well, you should be grateful that you got adopted. Well, not all adoptions ends in fairy tale. I think we have to normalize that. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. You know, that's right. Yeah. Sometimes you don't have that bond with with your parents, you know, and it's okay if you don't feel like you have a special bond with that parents. So for me, at first it was like it was awesome, you know, like I came to America, I was learning the new language. At first we were just using dictionaries and drawing pictures because we didn't speak each other's language. But then as the months went by, that's when the sexual abuse started to happen. And I didn't, at that time, I didn't know what was happening to me because I didn't understand what that was when I was that age because they didn't really talk about it at the orphanage. So I didn't know I was being taken advantage of, I guess. That had never um, happened to you at the orphanage. Exactly. Like the caretakers never done that to us and nobody ever done that to us. So I didn't know where that was and so that's why I never told anybody until like high school that and high school that's when I found out oh what he did to me wasn't okay so I am so uh, sorry that happened I'm yeah it's heartbreaking um, we moved to France at in the middle of eighth grade and I think when I was in ninth or tenth grade I think that's when I first told a teacher I think so-and-so abused me when I was little and then at that time, I didn't know teachers were mandated reporters, so I told her not to tell anybody. But she told the principal, and eventually the principal contacted the police and and so forth. They contacted the CPS, of course. And so, but I remember just being super mad at her because because I told her not to tell anybody. I, I was just letting her know, but I didn't know that it's her responsibility as a mandated reporter to report these things. When those things kind of happened, I just... I, I just feel numb, you know, like during my whole high school year, I was just pretty feel depressed because, yeah, I was an orphan and I got adopted and then I went back to the system again. So I adapted the mentality of like, oh, once an orphan, always an orphan. Mm. So that was like that, that was what, what I kept telling myself. I was like, well, I'm I'm just yeah, I'm going to always be an orphan, you know, yeah. and. Yeah, that's a lot to happen to you. Just 
just horrible yeah. to happen at such a young age and and not not even really knowing what's going on were you adopted again mm, no because I, I never got adopted again it's because that because i aged out of the system so i went back to the foster care system when i was like in 11th and 12th grade so when i was at like 16 16 17 and then i graduated high school and then i turned 18 and then I just left. I, I just left the system because the system is very corrupt. And I didn't like the foster family that they placed me with because they did give me an option to take to stay with them longer, even though I turned 18. I was like, no, I need to escape. Like, I, I, I need to take at least a gap year to reflect on my life, to just know what I want to do. Because everybody was talking about college and universities and applying, you know, during that year, the senior year. But I couldn't focus on that. I had to focus on where am I going? Like, you know, because I, I had nowhere to go. I had no family. I had, like, no money and, and stuff like that. So I was, like, while everybody was focused on applying to universities during senior year, I remember teachers always asking me, like, oh, yeah, did you apply yet? Where are you going? Like, what's your plan? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you right, know? Cause I right. Because I wasn't thinking about that. Like, I really was. Of worked. course not. You you had all yeah. this stuff that had gone on. And, and yeah. when you went to France... At some point, you came back to the U.S. Yeah. Have you had a yeah. chance to go back to China? No, I haven't. I, I've always wanted to. And, and my dad promised me that, that they would take me to China when I got adopted. I mean, no, when I when I graduated. But but before I graduated, that's when the whole me going back to foster care, me leaving them happened. So we never got a chance to to go to China. So to this day, I always tell my husband, I was like, we need to go back to China once. So now, <laughs> now I'm telling my husband, like, hey, you know, I already do miss China. You know, it, like it's always part of me. And I think being adopted, I think a lot of adoptees can relate to this. It's, it's always embarrassing, especially at a doctor's office, when they ask you about history of things, family history of things, you right. know. And I always tell them, I don't know. Like, I'm sorry, but I don't know. And and I think during my pregnancy with my baby, I think that was also hard, too, you know, because I don't know what kind of health conditions he's going to have or I don't know what runs in my family because I know that I have a heart condition. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when my birth parents gave me up. So when I was pregnant, I was super scared for, for my baby because I was like, oh, I don't know what runs my family, what should I be looking out for, and so forth, you know? So I think that's one scary thing about being adopted is you don't know your family, so you don't know the history that you have. Yeah, um, that's a good point, yeah. So um, I, I, I know I kind of got off track, but, like, <laughs> my mind is going everywhere right now. No, but, you're doing fine. Yeah. And <laughs> and I I know what, what I'm thinking about right now are the friends you made, your brothers and sisters, as you refer mm-hmm. to them, have you been able to connect with any of them? Did, did any of them come to the U.S.? Or Yeah, that's that's one thing that was um, I'm super grateful for, is the ones that did get adopted, we have a group chat on Facebook, on Messenger, and we actually had a reunion like two years ago where we all met up, and we were just mm-hmm. like hanging out and remembering the good old times right. you know so that was really awesome and like i was super grateful i get to see them again because you grew up with these people you know like right. you grew up with them. it's like family and, yeah like they were your family for sure 
And if your adopted family is, is not what you hope for, then you just have to go back to your first family. And I feel like that was me in my case. My other brothers and sisters didn't have a good adoption homes either. I mean, some of them probably pretty good wherever you get adopted to. We would just come together and just like talk and laugh and just remember the good days because that's what we remember, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's that will be forever have a huge bond with all of us because we have something in common. A crazy thing is my old roommate, she also reached out to me too, like through like a Chinese app. The main Disney. one, the bully. Yeah, is that the bully? <laughs> yeah, the one that 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 is yeah, that is abused me. She actually apologized to me. Like, I was super surprised. Like, I was reaching out to her. I was like, hey, like, I miss you and stuff. Because I'm a Christian, I, I didn't hold grudges towards her, what she what she did to me. You know, I had to learn to forgive, learn to just be nice to her because she was in the same shoes as us. You know, she she probably had, like, emotional trauma as well, and she would just take it on me and whatnot. So I just reached out to her, like, you know, in, like, super nice, and I didn't bring up her past with me at all and she just I don't know like hey like I'm sorry for all the things I did to you it wasn't nice and on that part she sent her I was like, it's okay like I like I I forgave you a long time ago you will always be a big big sister to me I told her and so that was a sweet moment from her because I wasn't expecting that you know and right. I didn't think that she would she would apologize and she has a family a, a family of her own now so she has a husband and two kids so I'm like I'm super happy for her as well <laughs> Where do you think you get your compassion from to be the way you are in the world with so much heartache and heartbreak and emotional trauma? I think for me, personally, it has to be God. So when I decided to come back to France, I mean, come back, yeah, come back from France to America, my dad bought me the plane ticket. And because we didn't have money and we didn't have a place to stay, we were homeless. We were actually staying in his car. Because at that time, he was living with his sister, and he had a car already. He drove from Arizona to California to pick me up at the airport. We both didn't have money because he just left his old job and in Phoenix, and he didn't have a job here. We didn't have enough money for a place, so we stayed in the car. And at the same time, I was applying to a college, trying to get myself into classes and enroll, and just so much going on honestly and i remember just having my suitcase in the front seat so i can sleep in the back in the back seat i remember one day this is how i found god my dad was still at work and i just got off school and i was sitting in the seat and i was just i was just crying out like crying so hard because i was just so down my life i was telling god like i don't want to live anymore i was like why why are all these things happening to me god like pretty much screaming at him because i was just full of anger you know it was just like years of disappointment on on top of each other and i guess i would just finally it finally caught up to me you know and i was just like so done with my life and and what's crazy is like a couple of days later after that episode somebody reached out to me on campus saying like hey do you want to do bible studies do you want to know about god um more about god i was like uh <laughs> like not not really huh <laughs> i was like like in a way yes and no right i was busy, i was busy angry at god and also not before i was like you know this depressed teen like full of anger and just just like all over the place emotionally I'm I'm at this place where I am because of God. He rescued me from China. I feel like he helped me see the positive rather than negative. 
he let me see that he saved my life because I could have died on the street, but he saved me. And like sometimes I wonder out of all the babies that was being thrown away because at that time there was a lot of babies being thrown away. And I don't know if you've seen the the documentary called One Child Nation on Prime Video. They were no. showing ba- they were showing babies in trash bags being thrown away and mm. babies just dying and all those horrible things. And I think God helped me see the positive. Like I saved you, you know? And sometimes I wonder why me though, God, like I feel like everybody question that once in a while, like, why me, God, why did you save me? Why did you just, didn't let me die? Like all other babies. Mm-hmm. And I, and I know that God has purpose for me and uh, throughout my walk and getting to know him. I think that's where, where I started to focus on positive rather than negative all the time and and see his love and be forgiven towards people who have hurt me in the past like even even trying to forgive my abuser you know my family who abused me just working through that that you question like how how did that become so compassionate because of him like i can only give him the credit you know yeah Um, but that's not my faith exactly because him you know i have my own family even though when we're little we want all we wanted is someone to adopt me and have a have this perfect family but what we think we wanted a family but god has a bigger plan because he wants you to give your own family and i feel that's what he helped me realize to see he didn't give me the family that i wanted i thought i wanted but mm-hmm. he gave my own family with, with my husband and my and our kid you know i and understand now, what you mean i do like it's hard to explain i know it's hard to explain <laughs> no, i understand because like, yeah, like we all want this perfect adopted family but god is like no i have bigger i have something bigger bigger for you you know like one day i'm gonna give you your own family and and i think that's where i have to hold on to that hope and in this case faith that god is gonna come through and sorry and and i know i'm going over the place and my accent is probably making it hard for me to no you're uh, fine I think you're doing a great job. And as you were talking about creating your own family, I thought about you have done DNA testing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because you you do have this faith and this hope in, in what is possible. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. though you're not in reunion yet, you've positioned yourself. You've prepared for the possibility of that happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. I, I do constantly pray to God to to help me find my birth parents. I still trust his timing. Maybe right now is not a good time. Maybe I'm not ready yet. Maybe God knows I'm not ready, even though I think I'm ready. You right. Know? Every year on my birthday, like when you blow out the candles, you know, like uh, people always like make a wish. I will always wish. I wish I would find my birth parents. Like every single year, I will I will wish for that. It just like yeah, it, it was like always my go to wish. But but that wish has has turned to a prayer because I trust God now, and I don't. I just trust His timing. You know, whenever mm-hmm. He thinks I'm ready, maybe I'm ready, but my birth parents are not ready to meet me. So I don't know if that side of the story. Like, but God knows. So I'm just keep being hopeful and just faithful that God will will do what he needs to do and like right. his will be done you know and I might I might go my whole life without finding them and that's okay because when I go to heaven you know maybe I'll meet them there either way I might I'm gonna see them hopefully in, the, in heaven as well you know when you contacted me when I saw your email I just lit up because I always like when an adoptee or any member of the constellation reaches out to be connected. And I remember asking Mm -hmm. you 
how did you find me? And so it has something to do with getting better connected with the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you want to talk a little bit about that, how it has affected you, like the meaningfulness of it, or even the challenges of being connected to the community? For sure. After I got adopted, when I was like, I, back when I was in elementary school, I, I wanted to to keep my Chinese language, to keep my Chinese culture. So I wanted to, to make friends with other Chinese people. But because it was such a small town, there weren't a lot of Chinese people. And so eventually I kind of forgot my Chinese language. I lost my community with Chinese people. But later on, I was like, okay, I want to find community with other adoptees so I can so I can have somebody to relate to, so I, so I, so I didn't feel alone, you know? Because, again, it was a small, small town. It was hard. It was hard to find other people that were, like, that had the same story as me, like, being an like being adoptee. And as I got older, I moved to a bigger city like San Diego. I literally used the app Meetup because I was like, oh, I need to find, like, other adoptees. My whole adopted life, I didn't have community. And I think that was super hard because it felt like I had nobody to talk to. I had all this feelings, I guess, and this these emotions in me that I can't express to anybody because they wouldn't understand. Especially like, you know, high school teens, teenagers are more like focused on themselves. So I can't express that to my friends, you know, because they might not care. So I didn't really have anybody to t- tell those to. So I had to harbor, like I had to keep all those feelings inside me and just like have to deal deal with it in my own way. And this was in France too. So I think the move to France made, made it harder because I was like, okay, if I can't find if I can't find a community in America, why like I think the chances chances of finding one in France is gonna be really low because I don't really speak French yet and that's gonna be hard to communicate with them. So you know, it was like just like constant battle of like oh wanting to like want to find community and I think finally like when I came to San Diego I was like you know what this is a bigger city there's there has to be more people here and there has to be groups here so I I just want to meet up and sort of like adoptees and I found this like adult woman support peer group for adoptees women adoptees we have I think we have a meeting like once a month or something and we were talking everybody was sharing their story I didn't share my story yet with them because it was only my first time and I was just like observing like listen to everybody's story somebody brought up like your podcast you know she shared the link like oh you guys should listen to her podcast she she interviews uh, adoptees and she posts your link on on the group chat and I was like oh that's awesome like I'll check her out that's in San Diego that was in San Diego yeah. oh wow so you all meet in person Oh no, we we meet online. Online, okay, okay. So yeah, so no, I live in San Diego, but people from all from over, all over like, okay, yeah, from all over, yeah. yeah. But they posted your link. That was so um, nice. Yeah, and uh, and that's how I found out about you, and I think it was just really helpful to see that there's a podcast for adoptees, you know, and that you can hear stories about other people, not like knowing that you're not alone. Because sometimes I do feel like that, and that that was a challenge that I had to face because I was like, I can't find, I can't find Chinese adoptees. I can't find any adoptees here. Like, like, I like, is it, is, is it not common anymore? Is it, is it not, are there not any more adoptees anymore or what? <laughs> uh, so I was like, what's going on here? 
And well, I'm it, glad it was, you found the group. Yeah, that you like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think our next meetup, I think it's on the 28th, I want to say, because it's once a month. So last one we met was, I mean, February 28th. So I think it was once a month we meet up. I, I think that's one thing that I'm grateful for is to find a community where they have resources. Like they sent you a link to you. So like helping people giving you resources so you can listen to or you can read about and and talk about, you know. So I think that was really awesome that she's, she posted your link in a group chat. Yeah, that was. I'm I'm glad that happened. I'm glad you found me. And there's so many resources now for adoptees, so many ways for us to be in fellowship, you know, so it's good. Mm -hmm. It's really good that that's the case because it wasn't that way when I was your age. And, And so I'm glad to see things just become a lot better than they used to be. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So I'm grateful to have that community now. I'm still keep like I, I still like I'm still looking at doing more research on like in person community mm-hmm. because that was that one was online and I'm more of like in person type of person. You know, like I want to interact with rather than through videos. I'm more like in, in person. I had to keep researching to see what communities here that meet meet up in person. And um, st- stuff like that. So mm-hmm. baby, baby steps, though. Baby steps. I'm just grateful that I found one. Well, um, I think it's just a- so courageous of you to mm-hmm. be on my podcast, be on any podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, to share your story. Mm-hmm. A part of it is emotional labor. It's not easy. And, yeah. and so to help other people, I think through sure. your words, is is just mm-hmm. awesome. I think a lot of adoptees do struggle with identity issues so many times I like I cannot remember how many times I, I keep telling people I don't know <laughs> you know I don't know I don't know because people would ask me things and you know, about my gun past I just shrugs like I don't know <laughs> you know uh, I think that has become a catchphrase now <laughs> one example would be like we don't know our birthdays none of my brother and sisters know our birthdays so our birthdays are actually estimated. I think it's on the day that they found us, maybe, mm. or they, or they estimated how close we were, like based on like our DNA, I guess, like or whatnot. Right. But like on my on my paperwork, literally says birthday August 12, nineteen ninety eight. Parentheses estimated, and and it's scary. Like if you don't even know your birthday, like <laughs> you know that's like like that's a day for you. you yeah. Know? Like that's, and like if you don't even know that then it's hard to know like where you come from like who do you think you look like what what kind of genes do you have so it's just like i think that's what really have messed me up and in a way like i i definitely struggled with identity issues where uh, i feel like i couldn't connect with anybody when i was younger because i wasn't american enough when i got older i wasn't chinese enough because when I spoke because I lost my Chinese, so when I speak Chinese, I have like this American and French accent. Because later on, I had to learn French too. I was all these things, but I still didn't know who I was. Right, <laughs> it, was like, right. it was like, oh, I'm American. Like I, I, I have American citizenship. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm American. I'm Chinese. I also have French citizenship. So like, I'm, I'm all these things. But I'm like, but I still don't know my past. I still don't know. Yeah. Who I am, you know? Yeah. And so you painted a um, good picture for me there. Yeah, that's sad. I know what you mean. Yeah. Like I know I'm not the only one that's going through it for sure. 
like if your parents are white or French or, or like if your adopted parents are not the like, same race as you, I guess that's even harder because you're like you're in that. It's just awkward, I guess, because when you go to even to um family reunions, it's kind of like, oh, of course you're gonna stand out, <laughs> you know, like yeah, because you're like the only Chinese person there, and no, everybody knows. Oh, she's adopted, you know. It just crazy how like I just kind of lost along the way as I got older, like the community. Even in high school, like I wasn't American enough to hang out with the Americans, friends, and I wasn't Chinese enough to hang out with them because I didn't speak Chinese. My Chinese wasn't, I wasn't speaking fluently. And then my French, I was still learning French, you know, so I couldn't hang out with French people. And so I'm like, oh, I can't hang out with anybody. <laughs> Obviously, my parents didn't speak Chinese, you know, mm-hmm. so, and I didn't have Chinese friends. So along the way, I kind of forgot it. And so now I don't speak pretty much any language because I'm not fluent in English yet because I still have an accent and my French is still like in progress so in a way I don't really speak any language I'm like damn yeah (laughs) you have a lot you have a lot to navigate yes yeah Yeah. that's a lot but you're doing it because I can understand you just fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) like I have no choice (laughs) because I I th- I think like ever since having having my son like you have to learn to be to be strong you know like as I think as a mom you have to learn to be strong, and I think when I was little I was ashamed of being adopted and I I didn't used to celebrate adoption day I think is it in November or something I didn't want people to know oh that I was adopted that I didn't have family and I I guess it's because of what happened in China at school because people will make fun of me saying oh your parents didn't want you you were probably like a bad kid that your parents didn't want you and you know saying all these things I, I think that's why when I came to America I didn't want to I didn't want people to see me in that light again so I never I don't usually share my story as growing up that oh I'm adopted so I never celebrated adoption day and I think now that I look back at it I kind of regret it because that because adoption is like it's it's kind of who you are now you know that's like you and that's like your new identity yeah so it's kind of gonna be that way for the rest of our life yeah exactly (laughs) and so like so now that i have like my baby somehow it changes you you know like i'm like i i was telling myself no i was like you know what i have to start celebrating who i am you know start celebrating adoption day the next one that's coming up because i have to be strong for him because he deserves to know where he's coming from you know you have said some very profound things during this conversation. I want you to know things that touched me deeply about your perspective because of, of so much that you've gone through. I mean, just layers of trauma mm-hmm. through your childhood. But you have come out. You've come out on the other side in many ways because I can tell your compassion for people. Yeah, that's extraordinary I'm not gonna keep you too much longer because I know you have a little one and being a mom is a full-time job (laughs) for a little one especially so is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share I think just just to encourage other adoptees that that they're struggling with their identity their emotional state their their life goals or whatever that may be 
just don't give up. You know, I guess. Then definitely seek community as soon as you can. Like, even even if you live in a small city, like find a Zoom call somewhere that you can relate to and 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 help you through it. Because sometimes it is a huge burden for for anyone to carry. You know that that big responsibility of emotion. So just like don't be afraid, don't be afraid to reach out, and nobody's gonna judge you. Like if you have something in common with people, they're not gonna judge you because you you guys are all in the same place, you know. And don't forget to celebrate who you are. And I feel like that's what I, what I had to learn is like celebrate adoption adoption day. You know, go all out. Tell people where you come from. Tell people like how far you have come. You know, and、mm. and that way, that way they can be inspired. So true. Because, yeah. Because yeah, because coming from myself, like now I regret for not celebrating those those things. Because you never know who you could have inspired, you know, if you if you don't share your story, or stepping out your comfort zone, you know.、Mm-hmm. And if you do feel ashamed of sharing your story, regard to you what your faith is, whether you're a Christian or Buddhist or you're atheist, like. Just reflect on it. Like in my case, that's I I prayed about it. But if you're not a Christian, whatever faith you have, reflect on it and really think about reaching out to the community. You know, again, don't forget to celebrate yourself. That I think that's my my biggest thing. Yeah, that was that. good. That was really good. And one thing you said when you talked about getting better connected on the Zoom call. With other adoptees,、mm-hmm. is that you just listened at first that you didn't、yeah. you didn't feel this need to necessarily share your story right there and and、mm-hmm. I think that's a real important message that you can just listen to other、mm-hmm. stories because they may give you、uh, the confidence to、mm-hmm. later share yours. Yeah, so I'm、exactly. glad you shared that. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It was it was really good. Of course, thank you so much for having me as well on your podcast, and I hope that people can can relate to it and step out of their comfort zone as well. Through her words, I feel Adele's ability to be a compassionate human being. There are plenty of times when I chat with an adoptee that I get a sense of them utilizing spiritual principles like forgiveness. Compassion and empathy. It's heartbreaking to think a child reaches the conclusion that they aren't going to be adopted or have parents, and will likely spend all of their time in an orphanage. It was emotionally tricky for me to hear Adele speak of the traumas and losses. I agree with Adele that we have to normalize that not all adoptions end well. Having survived sexual abuse after her adoption, the depression of feeling once an orphan, always an orphan, and lacking direction upon reaching adulthood, is evidence of Adele getting on the other side of great hardships. I appreciate when in Zoom meetings, adoptees get valuable resources like podcasts, books, blogs, and anything else to help them feel less alone. I never know what information or story will help an adoptee navigate their way. As Adele stated, just don't give up, and don't be afraid to reach out. Thank you, Adele, for having this conversation with me. You have taken years of disappointment at a young age, and began the journey of appreciating your life. 
You've already learned to exercise your confidence by reaching out to others like me. It was a joy to hear from you and that you are finding more strength through our community. You've learned to celebrate yourself and not carry the weight of the world alone. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash land. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you so much for being here.